the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good morning, everyone. You are listening to the Master Gardener Hour, a one-hour show where we talk to garden professionals and gardeners from all walks of life, all growing a variety of different plants. My name is Kate Copsey, and I am the host of the show. You can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com, or through America's Web Radio Station site. If you have any questions about something in your garden, please post it on our Facebook page, and maybe we can answer the question on the air. This morning, we are going to be talking to a long-standing friend of mine in Texas, Anne McCormick. Good morning, Anne. Good morning, Kate. Good to talk to you and howdy from Fort Worth. Oh, that's right. And I believe you've been having some pretty dry climate down there that might have been broken by maybe this winter, right? Yes, yes. Texas and and a lot of the Southwest has been having trouble with not quite enough rain. Um, and I, and and that has been a, a real issue for us. Um, out here, we, we, we rely on the, the rainwater principally for our, um, most of our municipal water. Very little actually comes out of the groundwater, relatively speaking. And I know that the, the public, um, the public lakes where they get the groundwater have been remarkably low. I, every now and then you'll see pictures in the newspaper where, where they show the, the, the dry, um, edge of the lake and things that are exposed that, haven't been seen for years, you know, those horrible Ooh. things. Well, yeah. well I, I guess it's fortunate then that uh, most herbs, um, they, they were from the Mediterranean, so they don't don't like a lot of water, so probably they, they thrive through this. Is that right? Actually, that is true. The majority of the herbs people are familiar with are, as you say, uh, native to the Mediterranean, and once established, um, they, they tend to be drought tolerant. You, you do have to, you know, use your, your good judgment. I mean, here in Texas, we we get some very hot weather. I've, a couple of years ago, we had um, uh, we had like a, f- a four to five week period where the temperatures were routinely getting up above 105 every day. Ooh. You know, when it gets that bad, anything is going to you know look pretty grim in your garden. Uh, but as you said, once once they're established. They, they will send out the roots and, and get the water from where they can and hold on to it when they do get it. That's certainly true. Yes, and you have a new book out um, called Homegrown Herbs, um, and it, it's about growing herbs and, I guess, using them in the kitchen. Um, and, and you did the growing part, and uh, Lisa Baker Morgan did the cooking part. So how did you two get together and decide to write a book that, that paired the growing and what to do with them in the kitchen? Well, this this is a um, literary uh, version of an arranged marriage, if you will, <laughs> if you could believe it. Lisa and I, my, Lisa Baker Morgan, my co-author, is a French-trained chef, and she lives in California, in Southern California, where I am native to, but I haven't lived back in California for many years. But we were contacted separately by the publisher, who had the idea for Homegrown Herb Garden, uh, but they, what they wanted was an expert in growing, and someone who was a um, skilled chef, uh, and to, for each of us to do a portion of the book for people who are interested uh, in gardening and using the fresh herbs themselves. The the the, um, the principle is that it was intended to appeal to those who are both you know passionate foodies as well as passionate gardeners, 
and both ends would like to sort of dabble on the other side. But this gave them a little bit of both, and it's actually worked out quite well. Uh, I've I've seen some of the reviews, and uh, people really appreciated the fact that they could get some in-depth information about the 15 herbs that we have in the cookbook. Uh, they can learn how to grow them, how to harvest them, and then in the, the other portion of the book, um, there are some wonderful recipes on how to actually use them fresh from the garden. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm assuming that most of them were, were fresh herbs that she used in, in her recipes. Is that right? Yes, she does. Oh, yes, she great. does. And, uh, as is, is typical of, you know, a, a serious chef, she, she <laughs> grows many of them herself. Uh, and, and uses them directly out of her garden. But of the ones that, uh, as I said, that we feature in the book, they are herbs. We, we talked carefully over this and selected a, a group of herbs that we felt could be grown by just about anybody uh, in the U.S. and Canada where this book will be available. Yeah, and, you know, I know that um, obviously cooking with herbs, um, assuming you're planning a meal, um, does she get pick them at the beginning of the meal, or kind of, uh, or, or maybe in your own cooking? Um, do you do you put pick them at the beginning of the day, maybe thinking that you're going to use them in the evening, um, or do do you put them in right right when you you use them, or or how do you? Because I, I'm a devil, I guess, for getting halfway through a recipe and thinking, oh, gee, I need to go back, go get some parsley from the garden, and you trump out, and you know, I mean, it goes in at the last minute. Do you do the same type of thing, or, or are you more organised with that? Well. <laughs> I, I I can I tend to be more organized, Kate. But I think, as you know, my my math uh, my background before I got into um, garden writing, I, I have a math engineering background. So I tend to be more or, more organized than the average person. Um, but the, actually, what you're describing is something the French the, the French solved this problem by doing something they call mise en place, which translates literally to everything in place. And the idea is, okay, if you're going to use a certain recipe, run down the list of ingredients and mentally check off and check in the cupboard to see that you have the item. I have done that too, Kate. There is not a a cook alive who has not been a third of the way through something and suddenly reached and discovered that they didn't have a key ingredient and grumbled to themselves all the way to their mad dash to the grocery store. (laughs) But the advantage of growing fresh herbs at home is... But even if you forget halfway through that you are going to need a little bit of chervil or a little bit of dill, if you have it growing in the garden, it's a very quick matter to um, grab a, a pair of a snips, walk outside and, and, and snip a few and bring it right back in. Yeah, and I mean, I've still got some actually out there that I was using throughout the winter, which is quite mm-hmm. remarkable. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. T- going out there with a flashlight and a pair, pair of scissors, my lemon thyme particularly, ah, uh, yeah. you know, that seemed yeah. like it managed to do quite well under yeah, the um, un- under the snow, you know, and the snow goes and, and the parsley does the same thing. It kind of, it freezes in situ. <laughs> yes, that, that is true. There are a number of them. That will essentially grow dormant. They won't be growing actively, but they will be available for use in the winter. There's a few, however, you know, like um, basil and chervil are ones that really need the warmer weather. 
uh, and um, when when the snow hits, you won't be seeing them growing around as such. But yeah. yes, you're right. You can do that through the winter with some of these. Yeah. Um, but let's talk maybe about growing the herbs. Um, mm-hmm. What about maybe do you start a lot from from seed or do you grow uh, go by by maybe a single plant? And which which ones maybe come, come best by or adequately by seed? And which ones would you suggest maybe going and just buy buying the plant either in the local store or online? There are a few that will uh, grow quite easily from seed. Uh, dill and fennel and chervil and cilantro uh, are ones. Actually, dill is not in the book, but dill's chervil and cilantro uh, are in the book. Those will uh, spring very quickly from seed. The uh, same is true also for onion chives. The remainder of them, um, except with the exception of basil, uh, are perennials, and for most people, I would really recommend just purchasing a, a four-inch pot of the plant and then just um, growing that year after year. Uh, and as it as it matures and becomes larger, you can divide it uh, and have multiple plants, or even pass on uh, some to friends. Yeah, and and what about maybe um, dry, drying herbs for winter use? Um, is it easy to dry them, and which ones would not dry quite as well? Ah, yes. Um, quite a few of them will dry successfully uh, to be able to, so that you can use them in the winter. Uh, the basil is a great one. Um, people enjoy preserving that. You can you can preserve by drying or actually by freezing as well. Uh, but let's let's stick for the moment to the drying question. Um, cilantro, you can dry it, but it loses a lot of flavor. The same is true for chives, onion chives. Um, they, they really lose a lot of flavor in the drying process. Fortunately, both of those are ones that can be frozen instead. Um, but herbs such as the tarragon, um, parsley, rosemary, sage, sweet marjoram, thyme, winter savory, all of those can be dried and, and brought inside. And so, so what about um, the ones that are maybe better if they're frozen? Um, is basil one of those that are better frozen? Basil can actually be preserved in both ways, successfully and used just fine. Uh, a lot of people just uh, dry it and that, and and then use it uh, as is, cr- crushed up and and added to foods, and that also works. Uh, however, I ought, especially with the resurgence in, in recent the recent decade or so of uh, pesto as, as something popular. People wanted to preserve the fresh aspect of basil, and so we were getting a lot of questions about that. And obviously, once you dry the basil, you're really not going to get it. You're not going to reconstitute it in, into a fresh pesto. Uh, but you can take the whole leaves uh, and freeze them. It's, it's a fairly straightforward process. It's roughly similar to what you do with a leafy vegetable like spinach gate. You take the leaves and you rinse them off. Um, thoroughly, and then give them a good shake and pat them down or put them in the salad spinner to uh, get the majority of the moisture away from it. Then you take the leaves and you lay them in a, a single layer on a tray, you know, like a baking tray you'd use for cookies, a cookie sheet, mm-hmm. something like that. You stick it into the freezer. The leaves are so very thin that they freeze very rapidly, uh, essentially a, fr- a flash freeze it w- within a relatively short period of time. Once they are frozen... Then you gather them up and put them in some sort of a freezer container 
for um, use later when you then can pull as few or as many of the leaves as you want. Now, of course, once they're frozen, Kate, they uh, it will have affected the cell walls just as with spinach. If you freeze spinach once you defrost it, it's not going to look the same. The same is true for basil, but it still will have the flavor. And when um, if it's if it, you're using it in a dish where it needs to be finely chopped or or added into a sauce, it will work reasonably well that way. Yeah, and I, I, I know that I, I usually, um, you know, when I'm growing things like, like basil, I tend to preserve them in vinegar um, because you get oh. it, 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 yes. the, the freezer space to me is far too valuable for something like that. <laughs> so so I, I tend to use the uh, the vinegar because it's so easy. You can you put put the herbs in, in there and let it sit in a dark cupboard for oh six yes. eight six eight weeks, and then you know you decant it and it works works well that way. But you know we have to go for our first commercial break here, but. We will be back with talking about herbs with Anne McCormack on the Master Gardener Hour. We will be back in just a minute and we'll go to the herb of the year, which is winter savory this year. We will be right back. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedStuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedStuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. Have you tuned in to the Master Gardener Hour lately? We have a brand new look. Come and join me, the new host, Kate Copsey, every Saturday at 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Master Gardener Hour. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at the Master Gardener Hour. And if you miss any shows, you can find archives at americaswebradio.com webpages. You can find them on iTunes and you can find them on Stitchers. Just look maybe Monday or Tuesday and you will find the shows downloaded. Um, and today we're talking homegrown herb garden with Anne McCormick. And we talked a little generally about herbs and using them in the kitchen and drying them and that type of thing Um, and there is always a herb of the year um, and this year it's savory and so is that winter savory or summer savory or both savories ah yes yeah every year the international herb association selects an herb to be as you said the herb of the year Um, this year it was sort of a twofer because as you say there are indeed two plants that we use in foods one is known as winter savory the other is summer savory. Winter savory is a perennial uh, small subshrub, a small shrub. Oh, for most people, it grows about ten to twelve inches high at most. Uh, fairly dense growth. A summer savory grows as an annual that grows through the summer. 
it's a little lighter in color, uh, the leaves are lighter in color, and has uh, what I would describe as a more airy construct. It grows a little taller, and the leaves are spread out a bit more. Winter savory um, is the one that is, is guaranteed to always be there somehow in your garden. Summer savory, um, just during the, the summer months when it is growing and active. Um, but these are wonderful herbs that I think are vastly underused in the American kitchen. And I really encourage people to consider growing one of them this year. And, and so with the summer savory, you just have the, um, I guess, the, the fresh leaves that you can use. The winter savory, I found, sometimes gets, it's a little slower getting started. So can you yes. start the summer savory maybe indoors earlier and, and have it out there while the winter savory is, is getting its up to speed, so to speak? <laughs> yes, summer savory, uh, like some of the more tender annual herbs, um, such as the basil, the chervil, and the um, can be started indoors, especially for those in the uh, cooler zones. I, I, I grow in the zones uh, on the borderline between zone 7 and 8, but those in the cooler zones would have to wait probably several weeks later than I before they would actually put them out. But yes, summer savory is one that you um, could certainly start indoors and then move outdoors um, and will grow throughout the, the principal garden year. Winter savory will come back year after year in the garden. I like to use it actually uh, along the front border of my garden because it, it's a nice, dense sort of evergreen there, and it, it keeps it, it just you know keeps reminding me that it will be there in the coming year. There, it's there throughout the winter, and it'll be there come spring. <laughs> And and so how are these plants different maybe um, to the thyme plants? Um, because I think sometimes there's a little bit of um, confusion as to whether you've got a thyme or whether you've got uh, a winter savory. So how do you tell the two apart? And, and do they taste similar? Oh, yes. They, they, they do definitely taste different. Of the... Of the dozen or so herbs that are commonly grown in um, North American gardens, thyme and winter savory are two that have relatively small leaves. And I could see where somebody who was look, wasn't paying close attention might mistake one for the other. They both grow about the same height. Their leaves are about the same size. Um, but thyme, the, the leaves on thyme are more rounded on the end. If you were to take a look at the winter savory, it tends to um, be sharper at the end. And I have found also when I um, am working with winter savory, like when I harvest thyme or winter savory and you dry them and then you take them off the stems, winter savory tends to be more prickly in my hand. I, I've definitely noticed that. And I, whenever I put, strip them off the leaves, I, I sort of mentally inside go, ouch, before I do it, you know, because I know it's going to be just tiny bit prickly. Uh, winter savory is actually a very good uh, for any dish that includes beans. In fact, one of its alternate names is the bean herb, uh, not only because the flavor complements the beans well, but it tends to counteract the, uh, shall we say, flatulence that is often accompanying uh, large quantities of beans in a dish. Yeah, um, and uh, from what I remember of um, the, they have a slightly different flower. Well, winter savory yeah. has a, a white flower usually, yeah. where, whereas thyme can have anything from white to pinks to reds. Is that right? Yes, um, there are um, there are goodness there. There's 
there's golden time, there's lemon time, there's mother of time, there's silver time and woolly time. There's a number of actually separate species plants that are, go under the thyme family. Uh, and yes, they do have a wide uh, range of colors. Winter savory, uh, the flowers are principally white. Now the summer savory, now remember we mentioned summer savory earlier, that has more of a pink flower, but it tends to grow taller, I believe, than both thyme and winter savory. And I, I think that its growth habit will set it off a bit from either one of them. And, and that's one that certainly I'm going to be growing this year because I think it's such oh. a fun plant to have. And that, that and, and marjoram, which is the, the, the tender version of um, the, the Greek oregano, for instance. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, Although, I, as I remind people, it is actually a separate herb. Sometimes people mistake and think, and I know you know this, but, I, but sometimes people think that marjoram and oregano are the same thing, and they're actually not. No, it's just got that just slightly more delicate flavor, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, in fact, when I back to the book, when my co-author and I were working on the list of herbs to go with, that was one of our discussions, um, marjoram versus oregano, and she was very adamant, you know, definitely the marjoram because the flavor is superior, as far as she's concerned, and I, I agree with her, is superior in the kitchen. Oregano can sometimes have a harsh note to it. Yeah. And be a little too strong sometimes. Uh, but I, I think it's great with tomato sauces and things like that, and pizza, oh, yes. of course. <laughs> um. Yes. In fact, when I'm, when I'm introducing people to herbs, I will often mention this as being the pizza herb. <laughs> because the flavor of oregano is one that they recognize most commonly with pasta sauce and uh, sauce that goes on pizza. Yeah. Um, so, so let's talk a little about rosemary. Um, rosemary ah. for, for you guys is probably um, grows into a, a hedge, whereas a little further north in zone sort of four, four or five or whatever is definitely an annual. And then there is that bit in the middle where, where sometimes <laughs> some winters it will survive outside, some winters it doesn't. So assuming that we're bringing it in, why, why, do, why do so many people kill it? Well... If this, what I always tell people is when uh, any plant, whether you're talking about herbs or ornamentals or trees or grasses, uh, successfully growing it help, it always helps to know where it came from. If you know what it, what environment it is native to, that will give you a leg up on how to treat, treat it and what not to give it. Rosemary, uh, is, uh, native to the hillsides of the Mediterranean. And I always tell people, Think of those travel posters of, you know, those sunny Greek isles with those those whitewashed um, houses going up the hill and those, those that fast-draining soil there. That's what nut rosemary is native to. So it, it is happiest when things tend to be hot and tend to be on the dry side. Most rosemary that dies in the United States is, is as a result of too much water. Uh-huh. Uh, and I... And even uh, in in my part of the country, that that's oftentimes what I find. People, I, I just had a a woman uh, not that long ago um, email me. She was having trouble with her rosemary, and it wasn't sure why she was uh, having trouble. Uh, and I, I gave her, I was talking to her about the soil and things. And then the last thing she said to me, well, her last email was, "Well, maybe the sprinklers aren't such a good idea." And I was like, "Sprinklers? <laughs> oh my goodness!" No. <laughs> Because um, too much water not only will uh, uh, tend to rot the roots, um, 
but with rosemary, and this is also true with sage, too, rosemary and sage are, are, are almost drought-preferent plants. Yeah. They really prefer drier conditions. And with both of those, if they get too much water, especially too much overhead water, um, they are likely to develop uh, spider mites or some sorts of fungus in the interior of the plant which can kill it. Yeah, and I used to call that a very ungrateful herb because, you know, it would start out really <laughs> nice in the, in the spring, give nice blue flowers, and then just for no apparent reason it would just croak. <laughs> <laughs> so always have well, a spare sage around that. Well, <laughs> Um, but what and, and the other one I want to talk about is French tarragon, true French tarragon. Um, uh, that that struggles when you get even I think as far south as zone seven. So, um, yes. uh, what exactly is the the limit of, of when that can be healthy, and what do people do if they're in those warmer climates? Yes, you're right. French tarragon, um, especially in the south, uh, we have more of a problem. It does not like relatively high humidity conditions. Um, I still remember when I first moved here to Fort Worth, and I was establishing my herb garden, uh, and one of the things I bought, um, and now I know foolishly, is I, I bought a, a plant of, of French tarragon. I thought, oh, I'll put that in one of the pots on my um, uh, on our side porch. Well, it sat in that pot for about three months, pouting, and then just simply died. I mean, and that was it. Uh, And I I have since learned um, by personal experience and and by talking with the experts that, yes, uh, when you get too near the Gulf Coast, when you get too near the Gulf air, uh, fresh tarragon is just not as happy. It it really needs drier air conditions. Um, The advantage that we do have down in this part of the country is we actually have a native herb um, that we can use as a substitute. Uh, It is... Um, sometimes called Texas tarragon or Mexican mint marigold. Um, for your readers who are interested in trying to find it, the botanical name is Tagetus lucita, uh, T-A-G-E-T-E-S, and the second name is L-U-C-I-D-A. It is slightly sweeter than the French tarragon, but um, according to those who are expert in cooking, and, and I will bow to them, they say, um, that it makes a good substitute um, when you want it fresh in this part of the country, and and of course that that's part of the um, the marigold fam- family, and it is. and almost anybody can can grow that from seed. It comes readily from seed, is that right? And you can grow it kind of in the north if you if you prefer as well. It yes. has a little tiny yellow flower on it too. Yes, it has a very. Uh, I particularly love to have that in my garden because it blooms very late in the growing season. Just when it's like your garden is about to go completely dormant for the winter, you get this burst of bright gold color from the Texas tarragon. And it's really, to me, very cheerful, and I, I enjoy growing it. People in northern um, zones might have difficulty finding it. It might be necessary for them to mail order it. I'm, I, you know, somewhere, some gardeners in Iowa are probably not likely to find it at their local nursery. Well, that, that's um, but true. I, yes. They could find it mail order. Oh, yes, and, and it does come from seeds. So, so you can make kind of a, just a nice little row, row of it, and even if you're not going to use it as a, a true French tarragon. Um, but, you know, we need to take another quick commercial break here. But come back, everyone, and we're going to be chatting more about herbs with Anne McCormack on the Master Gardener Hour. We will be right back.
This is Tracy Pearson with Prissy Tomboy. Listen to the Prissy Tomboy radio show every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time as I interview special guests that will inspire adventure and fitness for females. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You're back listening to the Master Gardener Hour. I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey, and this morning we are talking herbs with Anne McCormack. Um, and with all the herbs out there, Anne, um, do you have um, any maybe particular favorites um, that, oh. that you like? I mean, my personal favorites are, are the times, particularly the lemon times, um, because they're, <laughs> co- they're colorful and they're scented and they're, they're just darn easy to look after. Good plants to have in the garden. I think asking an herb gardener what her favorite herb is is like asking a mother what's her favorite child. You know, it's not <laughs> easy to answer. Um, on the culinary end of things, uh, because I, I would say, uh, yes, uh, thyme is definitely one that um, I, I particularly like, the basil uh, and the varieties of basil that come out. Um, the scent, um, I, I'm particularly in love with scented geraniums also known as pelargoniums, um, which are not, which have, unlike the more showy geraniums that have the showier flowers, uh, the, the, the pelargonium scented geraniums, uh, have a variety of scented, um, leaves. Uh, there's, there's a peppermint scented, rose scented, lemon scented, ginger scented, coconut scented, oh, you, and the list goes on. Uh, I particularly love those. Yeah, um, and of course those are they're, they're more on the the tender side. Do you um, are they perennial for you guys? Uh, they can be. Um, people have too. I think, in my opinion, people in, in um, the warmer zones have too much of a tendency to regard all geraniums as annuals and just yank them up. Um, I found uh, even when uh, for about four or five years I lived in Zone Six in central New Jersey. Now, there you do get snow on the ground for lengths of time. And I found that with the scented geraniums, they will die back down to the ground. But if you mulch the base, um, you have a good chance of them coming up again in the coming spring. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. People, believe me, give it a try. It's certainly worth a try. And I, I, I use that regularly here. Um, as I said, we're zone seven to eight here. And quite a few years, most years, unless we get really bad 
weather, although frankly this winter it might have been bad enough, uh, quite a few of my scented geraniums will come back up in the coming spring. Yeah, yeah um, and I would imagine though um, they, they don't get quite as woody that way. When they go right down to the ground, they can come straight back up and be kind of a no- normal plant. Because I found when you bring them in, they, they do, they survive okay. They don't sulk particularly. But then when you put them right. back out, they've got, they get woody after a couple of years, which isn't particularly attractive. That, that is true. They, they do develop a rather uh, woody, uh, gnarled base. And, and that, that's somewhat characteristic of their, their um, native area. Remember, they're from South Africa. Here again, like I, when I was talking about um, rosemary in the previous segment, knowing where a plant comes from helps you to know um, what it's going to be happy with. But uh, coastal South, uh, the, the country of South Africa, the, uh, the southern tip there, that's where most of those geraniums are native. Uh, and those are uh, difficult growing conditions, and and they, they definitely need to hang on. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so they, they tend to get gnarly. And yes, you're right. So yeah, with with the scented geraniums, like I said, even even if it did, if I, even if once I bring indoors through the winter, what I then do in the spring is I take cuttings and root those and then work from those for the coming year because otherwise, as you say, it does get fairly woody and gnarly. Yeah, and a- another one that I, I like to grow um, you- usually is the, the pineapple sage, um, in part ah. because of the beautiful flowers, but if you get too far north, I find that the frost tends to get there just before the flowers, and it's a real yes. balancing act. Yes, it is a delicate a sage. It is very definitely. Um, it uh, in my part of the country, when it, especially during the hot summers, it's the one that faints at the slightest li- loss of, of water. It, it's I, it's the one I always keep an eye on because I know when it starts to droop, it's definitely time to water in my area. But yes, you're right. It is not does not handle hard frost. But it is it is worth growing. I I, I very much love the the look. Um, the, the pineapple sage, by the way, is an edible sage. Some people think that it is not. Um, it is called pineapple because it has something of a fruity scent and aroma. Uh, the flowers can be used in potpourris. And, uh, and I have a recipe for um, pineapple sage uh, quick bread that actually uses uh, the flowers and some of the fresh green leaves. So you've got the green and the red mixed in with the batter when you um, cook this. Uh, late in the year around Thanksgiving time. Oh, and, and I know that it has beautiful bright red flowers, which hummingbirds and things would like oh, if you're, if you're yeah. that, that bit further south. Um, and have, yeah. you, have you ever, particularly with, um, we were talking a little about the pelagonians, and I don't know whether it would work with the pineapple sage, where you, where you get a, a, maybe a, um, a plain cake mix of some description, and you lay the leaves underneath, and it kind of infuses into the cake mix. I know a rose geranium can do that. Um, would a pineapple sage do the same thing, do you think? Uh, you know, that's an interesting question. I think that it might. I have not tried that. Uh, but, yes, you bring up something interesting that I, I like to tell people uh, about pelargoniums um, and the, the, the various scented uh, leaves that they have uh, being used to scent cakes, cookies, and, and other confections. I remind people that before the time when a vanilla was so easily available as a flavoring in the kitchen, um, that a lot of flower scents were actually used to flavor uh, foods and confections. Uh, we sort of have some 
memory of that in, in rose water being used in things still, and to some extent also lemon, but a lot of other uh, flowers were actually used as well uh, to provide a flavor to foods. Yeah, and I think think we're we're using them again. Um, so uh, yes, um, um, now you. What about maybe um, some of the southwest ones? Um, are they different? Uh, the ones that may, maybe grow well in the southwest, a little maybe. For, would that be a little further south from you um, that we wouldn't normally grow in the northeast? What type of plants would that be? Ah, yes. Well, we do have take into consideration, as you say. Yeah. Some of the things that we can and cannot grow. Uh, the basil, we can grow just about any kind of basil down here without any problem. Chervil and cilantro are two herbs that we can really only grow during the cooler sections of our year. We would actually plant those very early in the year, actually as, you know, as early as February, because by the 4th of July it has set seed and died completely. But then after Labor Day we can plant them a second time so that during the cool, cooler weather we can have a second growing season for those plants. Whereas up now, here we just kind of, I guess, um, succession plant them every couple of weeks. Right, because yeah. it will continue to grow throughout your summer, but here it will not. Uh, it just gets um, too too hot, much too hot. Now, another plant that we have a problem with here in this part of the country is actually lavender. Uh, I have, I have, I have to. I, if I had a dollar for every time I had someone in the audience stand up hesitantly, feeling like they were admitting that they were just a horrible gardener, and telling the the world that they had trouble growing lavender, and I was always not. Happy to be able to say, it's not you, my dear. It's just the climate we're dealing with. <laughs> uh, but we have some of the lavenders like it more cool and moist, and the other lavenders like it hot and dry. And we have what would be more of a hot and moist combination. And so we find that actually the hybrids, actually, between the French and the English lavender, tend to grow better here um, in the southwest, because we have a bad combination of that high heat as well as the relatively, for lavender anyway, relatively high humidity. Um, not pleasant to live in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well it, it, I'm far enough north that I'm not, I don't have the, the really sweltering heat that they'll have very near the coast. Um, Fort Worth is probably about five, uh, about five to 600 miles north. Uh, of the coast, but still, relatively speaking, as far as the plants concerned, it is it is more humid than some other parts of the country. So, so, so the the lavenders would get um, funguses and things like that. Is, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, serious yeah. problems. And and that's uh, like rosemary lavender is one also that simply cannot stand overhead watering in this part of the country. Oh yes, uh, <laughs> that that will um, you'll get fungus infections and and spider mites in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, if you do that, the the rule we tell people is when you're using the hose to water your your lavender, we say water the ground, not the plant. Uh-huh. Don't don't even splash onto the plant if you can avoid it. Yeah, and, and water to the side. And it, it probably doesn't need an awful lot of moisture anyway. <laughs> um, not as such, yeah. because yeah. again, like uh, like the rosemary, too much water. Will kill the lavender. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I want to just go back to the um, the cilantro um, for a minute uh, because if you let that flower, 
it's, it's got a beautiful white flower. If Once it gets those kind of the feathery leaf things on them, rather than the cilantro mm-hmm. leaf. And then, of course, you get the spiced coriander, Yes. Which, is, which is the white part that, that forms. Um, and I think that's a perfectly good re- reason when, once you've, um, once the cilantro has stopped being productive as a, a leaf to just let it go, stay in the garden. Um, I'm assuming that it does that down there as well. Yes, it does. Um, but most people here actually are, aren't, I have to remind people that actually the cilantro is the same thing as coriander and that if they're patient, they can harvest the seeds as well. Um, but because of the, the um, food influence, the Tex-Mex foods that we often grow here, or not grow, I should say, <laughs> uh, make here, and people want to have the leaf production. And, and they're concerned, you know, because once it starts to bolt, once, it's, once it starts to send up the flower stalk, the leaves don't have the same flavor, and they don't, they're just not as good. Um, and so, but, but like you say, I'm, I'm with you. Let, just let it go. Let it go to seed and then harvest the seeds. Yeah, um, and you know, I mean, it, it, it's a perfectly good reason to let let the the cilantro go. Um, and you know, the southwest, I think, um, particularly, it, it can can be very, very humid down there, but it can also be very dry. So, do most of the Mediterranean herbs um, do okay there as well, with the exception of the the rosemary and the woody ones? Uh, in general, yes, they do. Um, they, they they will grow reasonably well in the um, eastern portion of Texas, from roughly eastern portion of Texas, across the Mississippi as you head more towards the east. You're going to run more towards problems with excess moisture, and that's kind of regional, and it really depends on what you're dealing with. But the majority of them are going to manage reasonably well there because there's sufficient heat during the summer. Yeah, and and really, I mean, you can water things to to compensate for dryness, but there's not really yeah. a lot you can do about humidity. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, yeah. But but you know, we need to take our final commercial break here. But come back, everyone, and listen to more for about the the homegrown herbs and Anne McCormick, and we will be right back. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. With all the back and forth in today's politics, 
It seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. I hope you're enjoying the Master Gardener Hour this morning. We have been talking about homegrown herbs with Anne McCormack. And the book, and you've got, um, you take each herb and it talks about um, how to grow them. And then your co-author, uh, Lisa Baker Morgan, she does the, the cooking side. Is that right? And every, there's lots of beautiful yes. pictures. Did you take the pictures or did she take the pictures or uh, both? I believe. The, uh, the pictures in the cooking end of things, I think, were principally taken by her, and she did, uh, in my opinion, an outstanding job. I'm really pleased with how well it turned out. There's a there's a range of recipes that are in there, and I think uh, for people who want to just dabble a little bit with some fresh herbs or go to something really um, complex, uh, both options are there. I'm, uh, there's a recipe for a skirt steak with chimichurri, which I think ought to be really good. Now, chimichurri is sort of a, a type of pesto from South America, from Argentina. Yes. And Argentina has a, a great tradition of uh, beef dishes, and uh, cattle ranching is a major thing in Argentina, and chimichurri is uh, a signature flavor from that part of the country. She yeah. also has a recipe in here for mint mojitos for the evenings. Um, there's one for ros- mushroom and rosemary beef that I think sounded like that would be good, and I beef tenderloin with a little bit of mushroom rosemary sauce. Yeah, she's got she's got a lot of friend, French influence, I found, in yeah. there as well. That's true. Um, one of her recipes, cassoulet with chicken and winter savory. There's that winter savory we were talking about. But uh, a quick flip through the book, and I think anyone will see some interesting recipes they, w- they would look at and say, hmm, that might be good to have tonight for dinner. So yeah. I, I would encourage people to take a look. Uh, in the begin- first half of the book uh, that I wrote, they can uh, learn how to grow the herbs, the 15 herbs that I've mentioned. Uh, there's also a brief discussion of, about harvesting um, with tips on how to ta- handle that, where you can uh, harvest and use them fresh directly in the recipes or dried uh, for a later time. And, and I like the way that at the start of each section with the, the herbs, um, she says what, what they go well with. So it's not just the recipes. It's more a general guide to, I've, right. I've got, got this winter savory. What am I going to use it for? And you can, and she gives a few different options rather than yes, just one does. recipe. Yeah. Yes. And, and that was part of the philosophy behind this book. It was enti- intended to, um, uh, to borrow that phrase, to empower the reader to have an idea on how to use Italian parsley or tarragon, uh, what it goes well with. Um, I think she even gives some discussions about, you know, well, I'm looking right here at parsley, uh, what cheeses it would go with, um, what marinades it would work well with, how to use it, a um, little bit of, um, you know, the practical advice about store, storing it in the refrigerator before you were actually going to cook, things like that. It, it, it really is intended to be a hands-on book um, that can be used by the uh, relatively novice or the more experienced person in the kitchen. Yes, um, and and what I liked about about the um, you know you, you tell people whether things can be grown in containers as well because obviously a lot of people are in much smaller properties and don't have a a, yes. a, a full garden where they can put these. You, you've mentioned which ones can go in containers. Do most of them grow pretty well in a container? 
Uh, the majority of the ones that, in fact, I mean, yes, I was going through this. Uh, of the 15 that we selected, we had that in mind. All of them, um, either the traditional variety or in the case of dill, for instance, some of the newer cultivars, that there are cultivars available that are more compact and will grow in container gardens or in smaller, what uh, I, I sometimes call pocket gardens. Um, as you say, people are are uh, making do with less but still want to have a garden, perhaps a section on a rooftop or a public garden where they have a small section, um, but not a lot of property, so to speak, but they'd still like to grow a few things. Uh, With this book and the suggestions that you have, you know, if you had like as as little as, you know, three or four pots, you could grow the majority of these, uh, or or perhaps, you know, a a two-foot by four-foot section of, of ground, you know, and you you had a, a condominium or a, a small townhome that you could grow quite a few and and enjoy them fresh yourself. And and they do talk nicely to each other it, um, when when they're they in containers. So yes, yes, I, yes. Um, you know, and and you've got is it fifteen different ones in here? Yes, we do. Um, and and they include what I would call most of the um, what I would call the basics. You've got the basils and the bays and the cilantros and the dills and the tarragons and and the rosemaries and sage. So you've got pretty much um, every, every all, what I would call common in almost any um, good cookbook that, that's asking for fresh herbs. Yes, that that is true. That's that's part of what we selected. But we did try to sort of bring in a little taste of some of the more exotic. One of the herbs that we included in here was lemongrass. And that's something that 20 years ago you'd rarely see in an herb garden in the United States. Um, but because of the um, Asian influence, um, that's been uh, been used more commonly in Thai food and in Southeast Asian food. Uh, and it's an herb that a lot of people can grow. Actually, for the majority of the U.S. and Canada, and the majority of gardeners that would listen to this show Probably lemongrass would be best in a pot because it really is tender uh, when you have cold weather in the winter. Yeah, and, and it grows really, really tall very, very quickly. That four-inch pot will get about yes. about eight to ten inches in wide and about three foot high. And I, yes. I, I found actually when you lift it up for the winter, you can actually like like you would almost any other grass. You can chop it down, and the, and, yes. and you can actually divide it into smaller parts to give to your friends as well. But then it keeps yes. quite well it, uh, without it being that kind of four-foot monster in the corner. Um, it, <laughs> it makes it yes. easier to and, and keep it cool so that it then comes out in spring. Um, with yes, fresh that's growth exactly again. right. It, it is a grass. Um, it, it's it's essentially a tropical grass from the Southeast Asia uh, with the lemon flavor. Yes, um, and and you can scratch it, and it's just a great a great plant in a in a, any sort of garden because it's got that tall feature. And um, so, any anyway, um, do you give out talks and things like that in your local Fort yes, Fort Worth area? I do, um, and I'd be happy to talk with anybody who'd like to have me. Uh, come to their group or organization. I'm available through my website, herbandcowgirl.com. I'm Anne McCormick, the Herb and Cowgirl, and that's H-E-R-B-N-C-O-W-G-I-R-L. Uh, I'm also on uh, Facebook and Twitter. You can message me there. Uh, I enjoy, I've, I've talked all across the country on herbs, my favorite subjects. Uh, of course, I'd be happy to talk about the contents of this book. Uh, as well as just about any aspect of herbs, I am, I am one of these people that when I enjoy a subject, I go into depth. Uh, 
Um, <laughs> I could I could talk your ear off about herbs, Kate, but I will be nice and won't do it for you. <laughs> and so, and so, somebody wanted you maybe to come and talk to their herb group. Um, is there a way through your website that they can contact you? Yes, they can contact me there. Um, there's a, a contact sheet on there, or as I said, on Facebook, I can be messaged there. Um, happy to talk with them. My co-author, um, Lisa Baker Morgan, also does um, demonstrations and talks uh, principally in the California area. I really don't know how much she travels outside of that, but um, those who are interested, I'm sure that she'd be happy to talk with her. All they need to do is Google Lisa Baker Morgan, um, and they can find it. Um, Homegrown Herb Garden is available on, of course, Amazon.com, Barnes Noble, and um, Indie Books. Um, or any, as they say, anywhere fine books are sold. And I believe you go going um, to the, the Round Top Herb Forum. Round Top is a very old, established herb garden. What is the herb forum there? Yes, every year the pioneer unit of um, the Herb Association of America here in Southern Texas. Um, has a, an herbal form at Round Top. Now, Round Top is roughly halfway between Austin and Houston uh, and in, in southern Texas. Um, it's a two-day event, which is very well attended. Um, the Round Top Gardens were originally started by Madeline Hill and Gwen Barkley, um, a mother-daughter team who were very well-known in the herb world in recent decades. They are the authors of Southern Herb Growing, which I know is still available um, on in bookstores. It's, it's one of the definitive books for growing herbs in the South. Um, but the Herbal Forum is, is usually quite good this year. Um, they have, um, that, that are going to be speaking on herbs there. Of course, they'll be talking about savory as the herb of the year. Uh, and I'm very much uh, looking forward to that. Yes, yeah, Susan Belsinger is one of the talk speakers who is going to be there. I will be there not speaking, but I will actually be uh, covering the event uh, for one of the, uh, the Dallas Morning News and doing some work on, on them there. But I'd be certainly happy to talk to anybody who shows up. Oh, wow. And, and so, so do you do much um, for the, the, um, the newspaper then um, on the Herb side? Uh, I actually, be, I've been writing for the Dallas Morning News recently. Uh, I have been a uh, columnist and regular feature writer for the Herb Quarterly for a number of years. Um, about six, eight years by now, I think, or something. So, uh, so people can certainly see my articles there. Uh, I write the Herbalist Notebook in the uh, Herb Quarterly magazine. Herb Quarterly is available on newsstands across the country, uh, and they can certainly find me there. And, you know, and, and I think, think you know, I mean, obviously I've, I've known you for a long time, um, and, and we've always bonded over this herb thing. Um, <laughs> I, yes. Um, and I, said, I, I think it's a great, great book. It, it ha- it's actually on the market now. Is that right? It came, came out, um, was it January or February? Um, yes, yes. The Homegrown Herb Garden, the official publication date was January 15th, so it should be um, available in the stores. Um, we've seen early... Uh, Sales reports, which are looking encouraging, that's always uh, that's always gratifying. And I've I've looked at some of the reviews that I've seen online, and I've seen some encouraging reviews. You know, you you put a lot of work in a book, so I know you know, Kate, and it's just nice to know people, and and some that uh, especially those who I I respect in the industry, 
you know, saying complimentary things about it, that's always nice to hear. Yes, and, uh, you know, as I say, it's, it's, a, it's a great book. I think almost anybody, um, whether you're a beginner or a more advanced gard- gardener, would find some, some good tips in the, the, um, the garden side and, and using them. Um, I think all, we can all use fresh ideas in, in using well, herbs. Thank you, and we really worked hard to make that happen. Yeah. That it, it was intended to be written in an accessible manner. Yeah. So that, as you say, anyone who had almost no no prior knowledge of herb gardening could get a feel for it and get out there and get started. Yeah. Uh, and the same is true on the cooking side of things. As you mentioned, my co-author worked at that to, to make it accessible uh, to the everyday reader uh, and encourage them along their way in exploring cooking. Yeah. Um, and un- unfortunately, though, we're right at the end of the show, Anne, um, but I want to, you're, you're, um, it's the Homegrown Herb Garden, uh, Lisa Baker Morgan and Anne McCormack. Thank you, Anne. It's been a great talk this morning. I've really enjoyed it. One of my favorite topics, of course. <laughs> <laughs> thanks Kate talk uh, to you later okay and uh, and thank, thanks everyone for listening to the Master Gardener Hour this morning we will be back next week with another show talking all about gardening and gardens have a good gardening week everyone and join me back here next Saturday this is America's Webradio.com the best in chat radio designed just for you